Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but there are still constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having all these issues to deal with? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843-664-8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your IT network works correctly all the time, and it's for one low monthly fee. This is a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and all and forever. 843-664-8989, heritagedigital.com. Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherwood. Welcome back Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Week wrap up here, your typical Friday episode. Uh, predictions episode dropped earlier today. It's usually prediction Thursday. This week it was prediction Friday. We'll go back to Thursday next week. Hopefully, God willing, and the creek don't rise. But uh wanted to give you guys uh another episode this week. Uh I know that you know, with early kickoffs, it's a noon kickoff. Uh, you don't have all day on Saturday to listen, but uh, a lot of people appreciate these and uh we're going to kind of wrap everything up for the Gamecocks play East Carolina first road game of the Shane Beamer era of the 2021 football season. Uh, it's in Greenville, North Carolina. Lots of Gamecocks heading up there. They're expecting a big crowd. Gamecocks last I checked are two point favorites. <clears throat> ECU was a four point favorite. The line has gone back and forth this week on this football game. Uh, but we'll see sort of what happens. Don't know who's going to start at quarterback. Don't have that news. I would uh, I would assume it's going to be Zeb Nolan. Um, just based on some things I've heard and, and, you know, behind the scenes a little bit. But, you know, I also know Shane Beamer is participating in some gamesmanship for this football game, uh, obviously. Um and uh, that's kind of my first point here. Shane Beamer has channeled his inner Lou Holtz this week. Uh, and my guy, John Whittle, who's a big soccer fan, uh, has, a, has a pretty good soccer analogy uh, in his final predictions piece. You can read that on thebigspur.com for free, by the way. Um, and uh, Whittle said, listening to head coach Shane Beamer over the course of the week, South Carolina is in for a true fight this weekend. The respect level is high and for good reason. But, uh, you know, he said something about playing Mexico in Azteca on the road. (laughs) Uh, And I guess that's their stadium uh, in in soccer or whatever, the Mexican national team is my guess. 
If I'm wrong, I'm sorry. I don't follow soccer that much. Just don't care for the sport. Uh, although, you know, sometimes I'll get into a soccer game or whatever. When I used to cover high school sports, that uh, soccer was kind of fun to cover because there's no play-by-play that you can really get into. So you're not talking about a drive or whatever. You're just like – it's kind of just commentary and then the scoring plays. Or at least I thought it was. I've come a long way as a writer since then, so don't hold it against me. But uh, not a big soccer guy, but he said something about uh, playing Mexico in Azteca and um, the stadium down there. So it's a lot of high respect, you know, for for the Gamecocks. Um, So, yeah, Beamer has been, you know, pumping East Carolina up. Uh, I think that's smart because uh, I think that, you know, if you go up there and take them lightly or you don't play well or you don't concentrate, you are going to have a long day. Uh, you know, they're skilled enough and good enough to where if any team goes up there outside of Alabama uh, or Clemson or Ohio, Clemson lost last week, so I won't put them. I think it's automatic that you just say Alabama, Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, somebody like that, you know, even Clemson maybe a team that doesn't play their best outside of the best of the best, you know, could have a long day with East Carolina. Cause I think they're going to be a motivated bunch. You know, it, it's when you, you listen to their fans talk, this is a game that could help them turn the corner as a program. You know, uh, I think some of their media thinks uh, that a Vanderbilt level SEC team is coming in there. And I just, I don't think that at all. So, uh, I just um, – I don't think that a bit. But uh, I do think that that's a game you can't take lightly. And Shane Beamer has done a good job publicly and privately uh, of making sure that that uh, is the case. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of the fear about this game is the unknown. Uh, and I think that's been sort of an unspoken fear uh, with Beamer so far is that, you know, is a guy coming in – um, you know, and, and that's why people unfairly, in my opinion, um, make a big deal out of the coordinator thing. It's like, okay, so you hired Steve Sarkeesian at Texas. And nice win by the Longhorns, first game. Nice job by Sark to get out to a good start over Louisiana, 38-18 uh, last week in Austin. They got te- Arkansas on the road this weekend. That's going to be a big one. Uh, but you hire Sarkeesian, you know, it's easy. You know, that's the guy that coordinated the – one of the most dominant offenses in college football history uh, last year. And he was masterful in doing it. It wasn't just that they had overwhelming talent, which they did, uh, but he was really, really good at calling plays last year at Alabama. Uh, as is Bill O'Brien this year. Those of you that are Texans fans or whatever that don't like Bill O'Brien, there's a different, it's a different ball game when O'Brien's dialing up plays uh, as opposed to being the general manager. But but if you're a Texas fan, my point is you knew you knew what you were getting. Oh, he's the guy that did this. You know, if you'd hired Billy Napier or Scott Satterfield, you knew they had a record at App State and Louisville or at Louisiana. So you could hang your hat on the record. There's nothing to really hang your hat on with Shane Beamer. And, you know, Clayton White comes in as the DC and he kind of has a track record. Mark Satterfield's kind of like Beamer in a lot of ways, hadn't called plays in a while, that sort of thing. So I think there still is some fear of the unknown just because last week's opponent was not a good FCS opponent. 46-0 was the score. 
a lot of really good things happened last week, but uh, I think most people are realistic about the fact that the stakes are getting higher this week. The players are getting better this week, the opponents and all that. Red, Red agrees with me there. So, you know, there's still – I mean, I, I see people talking about games that don't even – won't even have an effect on this game, like the App State game a couple of years ago. And, you know, there, there's some sort of, like, feeling out there that I guess Muschamp lost a bunch of those games against a group of five teams. He, did, he didn't. Uh, he lost in the bowl to South Florida and then lost that App State game. Both situations – were less than ideal, but he was, you know, he, he beat most of the group of five teams. Now, there was a close call against Louisiana Tech and Skip Holtz in 2017 that was sort of uncalled for. That game was not one anybody, including myself, was happy after. However, you know, they won. And and, and so, you know, South Carolina, since the turn of the century, is 48-4 and four, uh, against group of five or below non-power five teams, Okay. One loss was Citadel when the season was over. One loss was App State when that team had probably had mailed it in, and they should have won. Better offense, better quarterback play in that one. They could have won uh, because the defense held App State to, what, 202 yards that day uh, in 2019. Um, so I lost that one. The, the UCF, USF game against one of their better teams in the bowl, Birmingham was the other, and then the Yukon Pizza Bowl. So two games in Birmingham, which has been a house of horrors for South Carolina over the years, going back to the 70s. Um, then Citadel and App State late in the season when the season was over, you know, for all intents and purposes. So, you know, you sort of look at it, and I, and I understand, you know, the scariness of the game. Believe me, I, I'm looking at it, too, as a, as a game. Well, Gamecocks can't do this, this. There's a list of things that if you see them Saturday could be very, very bad for the South Carolina Gamecocks. Um, so I, I, I share in the concern a bit, but I do think Beamer's done a good job of pumping them up. And I think South Carolina fans have been shell-shocked a little bit the past, since, really since 2014. And they've expected the unexpected in a lot of, uh, a lot of situations. And so – you know, I, uh, I, uh, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Plus, it's up there. Uh, this is only the second group of five road game against a group of five opponent the Gamecocks have played since the turn of the century. Um, the other one was at UCF in 2013. Interesting ball game there. You had uh, Gamecocks going down ten nothing to Blake Bortles and the. UCF Knights, Blake was the number one pick in the draft that year. That was not a good pick, by the way. Uh, but UCF only lost one game that season. Game has got a 28-10. Uh, Mike Davis, really big ball game down there. Dylan Thompson had to come in for Connor Shaw. Came uh, got in the eye formation and ran it on him. Uh, ended up winning 28-25 and holding on for dear life at the end. Uh, but that was a UCF team that – you know, like I said, they, they only lost one game. That was to the Gamecocks that year. They ended up spanking Baylor 52 to 35. Baylor was a really good football team that season in the Fiesta Bowl, you know, and that, they didn't lose. George O'Leary. Now, similar to South Carolina in a couple of years, the, the bottom sort of fell out there, but that was uh, before the Scott Frost 
quote unquote national championship team in 2017, that 2013 team was the best UCF team in school history. I, and I wasn't on board with scheduling that one. And and I'm I'm not, I'm not, I wasn't on board with scheduling at East Carolina either. I, I will say that when you do research and you look around the league, you know, South Carolina is not alone in scheduling some of these home and homes. But uh, you know, and there's other schools that do it a whole lot, like Missouri, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Arkansas to a certain extent. You know, they they schedule a lot of these games. You know, South Carolina. You know, you have this one, and then they pushed App State and Boone back to the mid-2030s. That's like twice in, you know, however many years that is, 13 years. You know, so it's, you know, people complain about it, and then I'm with you. I don't don't think you should do it, but there's going to be times when you do. And um, Alabama, for example, is playing at South Florida uh, in a few years, and I think you know, Alabama recruits the Tampa area. Uh, at USF is building an on-campus stadium, but I don't know if it'll be ready. Uh, so you get to play at Raymond James. I mean, you know, that, it's a good trip for your fans. Uh, and I like things like that. So, so you could probably, you know, had South Carolina not kind of been in the midst of two trips in three years to the Capital One slash Citrus Bowl, you know, that trip to Orlando may have been a lot more fun. Uh, Greenville, North Carolina, not a garden spot by any stretch, but a lot of fans like to go because it's a different kind of deal. So I'll say that. Uh, and, and I'll say, you know, like Oklahoma struggled with Tulane last week in Norman, but it was a two-lane home game. Well, it was supposed to be a two-lane home game. The hurricane uh, that hit New Orleans um, forced it to move to, to Norman. But, uh, you know, trip to Tulane now. Now, look. I wouldn't schedule Tulane right now as long as uh, Willie Fritz is there (laughs) because they're really, you know, they're they're tough. They're tough to defend and all that. But, you know, years from now, Gamecocks play, schedule a road game at Tulane. I don't have a problem with it. That's New Orleans. It's a fun trip, you know, and watch the Gamecocks finally make a major bowl, go to the Sugar Bowl the same year, and fans are going to complain anyway. But, you know, I I wouldn't mind that. You know, some of the trips to the Florida schools or, you know, the other Florida schools are not bad. But, you know, I tend to think most years, you know, that the Gamecocks don't have like the neutral site game against North Carolina and Charlotte or the game in Atlanta against Virginia Tech, you know, uh, or some of the home and homes they have scheduled. I think most years you got Clemson. They're not going anywhere. And then you schedule, you know, three teams you should beat. And uh, then you got the SEC and the SEC may go to nine games and that's going to make things even more dicey. Uh, good news about that is there'll probably be a pod system, so the road trips within the league will be more varied. You know, you won't have to wait 15 years to go to Tuscaloosa, and I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but uh, there's some folks that just like to go different places, and I understand that. I'm the same way. Uh, but, uh, you, you know, some of these home and homes that, that they have, I guess Miami and Virginia Tech coming up and they're talking about they, they got North Carolina and NC State back on the schedule home and home wise. I don't know what what will happen to those when you're talking about three non conference and then Clemson's one of them and nine SEC games. And, and I don't know if they're going to go to nine. I mean, I, I think some of these other leagues, like with the Alliance, quote unquote, which is funny in my opinion, uh, they're talking about scaling it back to eight if you're in the uh, 
Big Ten ACC or Big Ten and Pac-12, the ACC plays eight. So I, so I don't, I don't know. The SEC may not go to eight nine, you know, or it may be that they have to go to nine to get the maximum amount of TV money. I, I have no idea. But scheduling this, you know, I, like I said, I, I'm, I'm never a fan of going on the road to play a group of five school. Uh, the Gamecocks have gotten a ton of home games out of it, though. And so uh, we'll see what happens. Um, but I understand certainly why some people believe this is a scary road game for this team. Because, you know, reality is we can talk it to death, and we do. You know, college football media – uh, college football podcast websites like the big spur.com 24 seven sports. I mean, that's, that's a bait that, you know, you keep it going all off. And that's, that's one of the great things about college football is we can sit there and talk about it, you know, 351 games days a year. And you only play 14 max, 15 max, so 350, uh, some cases, 353. We could talk about it all the time. Talk about roster recruiting, coaching moves, X's and O's, whatever you want to discuss. Uh, but, you know, you, you haven't done it until you do it. And I think a lot of times uh, where fans get a little out of whack is when the unexpected happens. You know, like Clemson last week, their fans got out of whack, first time in a long time. But, you know, it, it was not expected that they would only put up a field goal against Georgia. I felt like that game would go under. A lot of other people did, but I didn't think Clemson would get essentially shut out. You know, I held out of the end zone. I was like, you know, Georgia's got a good defense and all, but I didn't expect that. So, you know, there you go. Um, And and this game has the opportunity or the chance to be unexpected because I think most people think South Carolina is going to go up there and win, but if it doesn't happen, that's not a good surprise. And uh, I like surprises, quite frankly, but I don't like bad surprises, if that makes any sense. It kind of makes you, uh, you know, it kind of makes you a little bit uh, nervous in your stomach a little bit. So that's uh, that, that's the deal with this game. I don't understand. Talk to a contact today, inside information that feels like East Carolina is going to give – a tremendous effort early in the football game, and the Gamecocks have to sustain and manage that. Uh, and then, but they have said they have a plan for it, and uh, and then take control of the game. You know, that's that that's the idea. You know, and and I think anytime you're facing an underdog on the road, that's kind of what you have to do is weather the storm. And I mentioned that UCF game uh, uh, back in 2013. Now Gamecocks had a lot different type of deal uh, in terms of who they had playing and the confidence and all that good stuff back then. But, uh, you know, that was a game that, um, that you ended up, uh, ended up playing pretty well, you know, in, and, and that was part of weathering the storm. Uh, I remember an East Carolina, South Carolina game in 1989. I went to with my dad. East Carolina goes up early, fourteen to three. Uh, their fans are loud in the corner of the end zone. Dad says that's a hellacious little school right there, East Carolina, and it is. And um, you know, Gamecocks ended up winning forty-seven <laughs> fourteen. Uh, so, so that's the deal. You know, people talk about all the losses to ECU over the years, and 
Look, man, some of those losses were ridiculous. Even the tw- even the nineteen ninety nine team, uh, Holtz's first year that got beat twenty one to three at home. I was at that game. Uh, coincidentally, that's the last time I've ever eaten Church's chicken because it made me sick at a tailgate. But uh, I'm not a big fried chicken on the bone person anyway. So believe it or not. <laughs> now I'll eat in a heartbeat. Don't get me wrong. Look at me, but uh, I am not a big fried chicken on the bone person, and I, I regret the churches and beer I had that day. It was hot, in Columbia. But even that team, you know, at the end of the day, you look at it, man. That that shouldn't have happened. Brad Scott could not beat East Carolina if for some reason. You know, Brad Scott struggled. You know that that ninety four team, first bowl team in school history. Went down 56-42 to the Pirates. The 96 team was a 6-5 and five team, just missed a bowl, and uh, lost 23-7 to seven to the Pirates at home. Now Brad went up there in 97 and beat them 26-0. Um, the 92 team was in the midst of a terrible start. Sparky lost 20-18. to 18. The 91 team went up to Greenville and lost 31-20. to 20. Um, So there was a time there that uh, – Shoot, the Gamecocks had lost four in a row to the Tigers. I mean, to the Tigers, to the Pirates. R, R. Um, and coincidentally, that's four of their five wins, I think, in the entire series. When was the other one? When when was – or has ECU only won four? Oh, yeah, 99. They, they won. Okay, so 99. Uh, so, yeah, so they won that 99 game, 21-3. I was the church's chicken game I was just talking about. And so, at one point, they had won five of six. Now, starting in 2011, that, that turned. Gamecocks won 56-37 in Charlotte. 2012, Gamecocks won 48-10 at home. Uh, 2014, Gamecocks won 33-23. That was a scary game, too. Because Carolina had just given up a zillion yards and 52 points against A&M, and I believe Lincoln Riley was still calling it. Uh, I definitely was still calling the plays for ECU, and they had given the Gamecocks trouble a couple of years before. And uh, it was a closer game than it should have Then I mean, it, it, not that it should have been. I think people expected a close game, but the Gamecocks won 33-23 and actually played better on defense. They got better. Week one to week two, and then 2016, Gamecocks won 20 to 15. That was a game where East Carolina outgained them by a lot. Uh, Brandon McElwain won the game for the Gamecocks. Gamecocks had uh, that was the epitome of bend but don't break defense that day. Uh, Gamecocks just held them out of the end zone and ended up winning. Uh, and then they were supposed to play last year and did not in the second game of the season. Uh, so, yeah, you know, so there was a time they lost five of six to ECU, not since 99, uh, and they're on a four-game winning streak now. And Gamecocks could go to 15-5 and five against the East Carolina Pirates uh, if they got a win uh, on Saturday. So that's kind of how the series breaks down. A lot of Gamecocks, though, if you're around in the 90s, the hellacious little school – you know, got the best of South Carolina. Even some good South Carolina teams like Brad Scott's two best teams lost to ECU. Uh, so you don't want to start that tradition again. Will Muschamp could have lost first game to ECU, but he did not. Uh, and so, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, I think a lot of people are worried about Mike Houston. Uh, 
as the coach, what he did to Carolina when he was at Citadel. That was a triple option football team. And honestly, if ECU was a triple option team, I'd be very, very concerned because that's sometimes an equalizer. Uh, I'm just not, I'm, I'm not very, very, I'm just very concerned right now uh, heading into it. Talk to a source today, uh, as I mentioned earlier, about what's going to happen. Um, and they mentioned you're going to get a great effort. And then, you know, South Carolina's got to take control of the football game. Uh, also seem to indicate that, you know, offensive line does have to play better to, to, for the Gamecocks to have a shot. But if they do, uh, that could be a big advantage. Um, and I pointed out nobody's going to start – nobody's going to track down Marshawn Lloyd or Zaquandre White or Juju McDowell or Kevin Harris from behind if they break into the open. And I think that's the key with the run game. I think there's a lot of potential big plays you can get and we've talked about the passing game and the need to go downfield and make it happen and make them pay uh, if they blitz. But you, you can also survive that with run run plays, draw plays, things like that, where, you know, they bring a bunch of people, you get by them, it's open field. And the Gamecocks do have a lot of speed, breakaway speed at the running back position uh, as much as anybody, really. And, uh, you know, so get past them and, and, and you know, you can, you can turn some big plays in on the ground uh, on Saturday afternoon. 80 degrees and clear is the uh, weather. I'm assuming it will be hot in Greenville, North Carolina. Probably more hot than the pleasant weather last week. I'm not sure what the temperature was last weekend in Columbia, but seemed to be pretty comfortable. Uh, at least it's not in the 90s. You know, it's probably going to be humid. It is the southeast and uh, and all that good stuff. But the the heat and all that could have been a bigger factor. Uh, it could have been in the 90s and, and all that. But uh, fortunately, it's going to be mild. So so we'll see. Um, this is only the second road game against a group of five team since the turn of the century, like I said. Fourth time, though, they've played away from home because there's two bowl games in there. The Gamecocks lost both of them. Uh, so one and two away from Williams Price against the group of five uh, since the turn of the century, two losses in Birmingham, bleh, uh, and then the win in Orlando against a top ten UCF team. So you know we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll see what happens. Looking forward to Kevin Harris getting back. Uh, I don't know how many carries he's going to get. Uh, Shane Beamer said he's not on a pinch count or anything like that. Uh, but he's been out for a while. Um, and the other guys are playing well. You know, Zaquandre White, Juju McDowell, Marshawn Lloyd. Uh, you know, just one game. Uh, but uh, we'll see how many carries Kevin ultimately does get. Uh, I think the better he is, you know, the, 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 the it's just one more guy that can make some things happen. And he certainly made a lot happen last year. You know, when you look at his season last season, the thing that surprised me, because heading out of high school, I thought kind of a bowling ball type guy, power runner, different style, uh, and it was it was different than, than 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 what he looked like coming out. You know, uh, he ran four or five at the Gamecocks camp and vertical forty one inches. So we knew he was a good athlete, but I didn't know he was just going to haul off and leave people. You know. Uh, in the run game last year. So that was the part of his game that was very surprising, and he did it against a lot of good teams. 
Um, some some teams bottled him up, yeah, no doubt. But some teams also got victimized by Kevin Harris. So uh, again, you throw him in there, White in there, Juju McDowell, Marshawn Lloyd. Um, that's a, that's a lot. Those are a lot of guys to stop. Uh, you can't play all four of them at once. Play two and throw throw them to one of them. But and you know, and I do think the Gamecocks have to have some passing that that happens uh, just in case. But um, you know, that's all. Those are a lot of guys that. If you start thinking about it, if the game gets into the late third, early fourth, late fourth quarter, uh, having fresh legs out there, the running back position is something that can really be beneficial to South Carolina in terms of big plays waiting to happen. So, you know, who who knows? Who knows how the game will unfold tomorrow? I gave my prediction earlier on the prediction Friday slash Thursday episode uh, of this podcast in South Carolina in my opinion, will come out victorious. I did pick somewhat of a close game, 24-16, just because it's still early in the season. This team's still kind of finding its way. East Carolina's still finding its way. You know, there's a chance. It's close, you know. uh, And and I don't know that it being close is going to predict the rest of Carolina's season or the rest of East Carolina's season. I I really don't. My teams have – one close games against football teams that aren't very good uh, and gone on to have really good years. Uh, so uh, that's happened in the past. So we'll just have to see. You know, you take a one-point win right now on the road, second game of the season, uh, to critically get to 2-0. and Because uh, a loss, let's be honest, a loss, and, and you may be staring 1-3 and three in September in, in, in the face. October gets here. You know, there's some games the game should be able to compete in, but then the last half of the schedule is difficult. I mean, you, you know, you're talking Texas a and Florida, at Missouri, Auburn at home, Clemson at home. Um, you know, just a, a lot of really highly ranked teams on the schedule, whereas you got Georgia. You got this, this one, Georgia, you know, then Kentucky is at home. It's a big game, but it's at home. Uh, Troy. Vanderbilt, Tennessee, Troy, Tennessee, Vanderbilt's how it goes. But, uh, you know, you, you, you win this one, you kind of like your shot at, you know, having a pretty successful first half. And I'm not, I'm not ruling out anything. I don't, I'm not saying, you know, after, you know, the game against uh, Vanderbilt here at home that uh, the Gamecocks are going to go into some sort of tailspin. I, I don't know that. You know, I think that we'll just have to see how they match up with some of these teams on their schedule. Uh, and I don't think you can get a good idea about week one at all. You know, for, for example, some people, uh, Josh Pate had a good tweet today. Is anybody taking Mississippi state over NC state is Tom Brady playing quarterback for the Wolfpack. Uh, it's kind of funny, but I, I think a lot of people saw NC state roll over South Florida, 45, nothing. And they saw Mississippi state struggle against Louisiana tech. Uh, and they are expecting NC State to have a really good team this year in Raleigh. Uh, the ESPN FPI, which, by the way, has South Carolina a 71% chance to win tomorrow, uh, had Mississippi State at eighth in the country uh, at one point over the <laughs> over the summer. Then they adjusted it and all that. Uh, Mike Leach does have a quarterback there. The game is in Starkville. But based on first week, you know, and look, I, I've – I've done this many times, right? And it in the first week, you just don't know. And really in the second week, you just don't know. 
Now I try to know. <laughs> I try to know. Um, you know, but, but but you just don't know. Like, look, okay, so let's everybody's talking about uh, you know, who the most overrated team in America after week one. And, you know, they did a betonline.ag did a um a geo track of keywords on Twitter, like overrated, overrated football team, all this other stuff. And uh you know, in 23 states pick Notre Dame. And look, it's very popular to beat up on the Irish, I know. But nobody really look at the fact they were up 18 and had the game in control. And, you know, Florida State put in a new quarterback and got a boost from that. Florida State's got good players. And it was in Tallahassee. And Notre Dame still found a way to win. I don't know if you call them overrated after that performance. You know, North Carolina it got the the nod in 12 states. Uh, I tend to believe North Carolina does have some personnel that needs to step up. But when you look at that game against Virginia Tech, they lost 17 to 10. Uh, Virginia Tech's offense didn't go very far once a very young but good North Carolina defense settled in. Some people said Wisconsin. <laughs> some people said Virginia Tech. Uh, one state said LSU. So, yeah, I don't know. Clemson was the winner in two states, by the way. And uh, I'll give you that. Since Clemson was there, I'll give you the I'll give you the states. Hold on. So, in Virginia and Tennessee, Clemson was the most overrated. North Carolina won the South Carolina overrated. People in North Carolina said Virginia Tech was overrated. I think that's interesting. You know, Notre Dame – Everywhere, California, Texas, Arkansas, Mississippi, Florida, Georgia. Um, wow, you know, New York, Michigan, Wisconsin. Uh, and then Wisconsin got the overrated nod in Indiana, Illinois, Minnesota, Nebraska. Oklahoma was the winner in Ohio. UCLA was the winner in Utah. Southern Cal in Arizona. So I don't know, maybe a little fandom. Uh, and it's funny, the state of Washington said that Oregon was the most overrated. The state of Washington said Oregon uh, said or the state of Oregon said Washington was most overrated. People don't realize how much Washington and Oregon hate each other. It's a bigger rivalry than Oregon, Oregon State or Washington, Washington State. Um, so anyway, that was kind of an interesting thing, courtesy of Josh Barton from the Odds PR, who sent that to my inbox today. So there you go. But that also proves that, you know, I, I would be willing to bet that one of these teams is over, probably overrated, you know, and it'll play out that way. But I'd be willing to bet more than, you know, more than we think are going to end up being just fine. You know, Oklahoma, I think it's going to be just fine. I mean, I, I, you know, Tulane is a tough matchup sometimes, as I mentioned earlier. I think they're going to be just fine. So we'll see ultimately – what happens with that? Okay. I promised you guys that I would get to the mailbag. Um, a lot of mailbag uh, questions here um, that I did not get to earlier today. And uh, I'm definitely going to get those to you. But our mailbag, as always, is sponsored by iHelp Consulting. It's the iHelp Consulting mailbag. So I hope uh, all of you do take advantage as I'm pulling up the ad here uh, of iHelp and uh, all they can do 
uh, for you and your business. So if you're a business owner, you're looking to save time and money, right? That's where I help consulting can help. I help as a Gamecock owned and operated company whose only mission is to help businesses save money on expenses. So whether you think you might be paying too much uh, for credit card processing, internet, insurance, anything else, I help can find your business the most savings without sacrificing quality. And remember, if I help can't save your business any money, you don't pay them anything. That's right. If I help can't help your business, it's no cost to you. So call or text my good friend Daniel Owens at I help 843-372-5713 or visit ihelpconsulting.com to schedule a free consultation. That number again, 843-372-5713. I help consulting. How can I help you? That's right. I help consulting mailbag rolls on. By the way, congrats to Josh Kendall of The Athletic uh, for getting a position or a move or promotion to cover the Atlanta Falcons, uh, his home state team, and uh, more golf and all that going off the Gamecock beat. Lots of different opinions about uh, about Josh and all that. And uh, sometimes I share those. Sometimes I think, you know, the star ratings and stuff uh, influence some of his writing. Uh, as a recruiting guy, you'd think I would like that. But uh, so the first uh, first thing comes in from Franklin off Twitter. And there's two ways to get in the iHelp Consulting mailbag. You could tweet to at the Big Spur Pod or tweet to me at JC Sherbert or inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Uh, and so Franklin talks about this. He says the athletic could hire any number of writers from Gamecock Central or the Big Spur and immediately pick up 500 plus subscribers in a week. I don't think so, but and that's nothing against any of my guys. And it would depend on who it is, uh, to be honest. But 500 subscribers is is a big number, Franklin. And I, I think with Twitter followers and stuff numbering in the thousands, you know, people just assume that. But that's uh, subscribers are it's hard to get people to pay for stuff, really. You know, subscribing wise, um, they probably won't. But if they're smart, they would. I also don't necessarily want them to leave too because those sites are top notch. Uh, yeah, nobody's leaving from where knock on wood. Nobody's leaving from the big spur. I don't even think they've been contacted. I think the athletics pulling out of the market. Um, cause that's what it seems like. Cause I, I think if they were being super successful at South Carolina, they wouldn't, you know, move a guy to the Falcons and golf that, that was being super successful for them. Um, and if you look at their business model, they, they always, They'll they'll try any market and then they'll redo resources um, to do. That's kind of how it works. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if they'll fill the spot or not. We have a position open on the big spur right now after the departure of John Del Bianco. So uh, the more jobs that are out there for people, the better. But they're not taking anybody from us or Gamecock Central. And you know, there, there's our guys are all under contract and stuff like that. Um, so, but anyway, I like the athletic. I like to read their, uh, big picture college football stuff. Uh, I think that's, uh, that's, uh, always good. They have some really talented people that work for them. Andy Staples, Bruce Feldman come to mind. You know, those guys are fair. Uh, and those guys also didn't sit there and, you know, wave the the white flag about football season last summer. And I always respect people like that, that, you know, wanted to find a way to play 
and look, turns out Greg Sankey, the, the conferences that decided to play ended up being right because everybody else ended up playing. But, um, you know, we'll see sort of what happens, uh, you know, with the athletic and all that. But thanks for the tweet, Franklin. I really appreciate it. Got more tweets coming in, Riddle. A Riddle says, Last week was just a sample size of the offense, but I have a feeling it is well past time to get some other wide receivers in the game. I know DeCarian Joyner is a great kid and must practice at an elite level. I'm ready to see Brown, Blake, Powers, et cetera. Someone is bound to make some plays. Well, Omega Blake and Rico Powers probably aren't going to play. Um, and I haven't heard a whole lot on Omega Blake. I know he's got potential and upside. What I have heard on Rico Powers is he's just too inconsistent. You know, doesn't doesn't always bring it. And you got to bring it to play. Uh, I'll say this. I think Amarian Brown has come a long way here in the last – since he's gotten back and gotten healthy, he, he's uh, he's playing well. And uh, I don't think you can substitute his speed. I, I think Xavier Leggett. Needs a shot out there. Last week was just so weird because they they really quit going down the field. I mean, they really quit with everything. Um, yeah, you didn't really get a chance to see uh, a lot. Uh, but you know, it was kind of interesting about that. Marcus Satterfield talked about using Joiner more in the Wildcat and all that happiness. Uh, and to me, that kind of says, all right, well, you know. DK needs a spot or role in the offense, which is good. Cause I, I think from scrimmage, that's where he's been at his best is running the ball from scrimmage, be it on a reverse or a direct snap or whatever. Um, you know, just hadn't, hadn't really down the field made it happen yet, you know, unless he's been wide open like against Kentucky last year. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see ultimately what happens. I tend to agree with you, though. I, I, you know, I I thought when they got Amari and Brown from Georgia Tech, that was going to be a big deal. Uh, missed time in the spring, missed time in the fall. You know, not the biggest guy, but certainly a player that um, has the ability to to make big plays down the field. And I think they're going to need that uh, this this week. And. Uh, Regardless of who the quarterback is, you know, I think they're going to need that. I also, like I mentioned, Xavier Leggett, that's a guy with a lot of speed that was coming on in last season. Then he got, you know, the injured, (laughs) the injured uh, injury report last year was not accurate really until Mike Bobo took over. We we didn't know what had happened to him. And then Bobo, when he takes over, oh, Leggett. He's been uh, hurt since the third game. <laughs> so, okay, there you go. Um, but that that's kind of what happened there. Uh, you know, or Trey Smith had a catch last week. You know, you, you want to make sure he can go. I, I think to uh, another receiver, even though he's listed as a tight end at times, uh, that can really make some things happen is E.J. Jenkins. Got two targets last week, both plays. One was an overshoot by Nolan. One was a sack where Brown held onto the ball uh, too long. Um, curious to see how he factors in the game plan. Uh, you also have Jaheim Bell, who is a jack of all trades. You know, they can go to Nick Muse. Uh, Nick called it when he was targeted last week. He used to clean up his blocking and not commit five personal foul or holding penalties. 
but that's kind of what happens there. But I, I agree, you know, give some other guys a shot, uh, which I thought they did last week. And, you know, Amari and Brown, just if he could just do what he did at Georgia Tech, which was, you know, he, he wasn't a guy that was going to go out and I think he caught 30 balls as a true freshman, but seven of them were touchdowns, and he was that deep threat, Demir Bird type of guy. I compared him to Shai Smith, uh, and after thinking about it and reevaluating it, I think that he's more Demir Bird, if that makes any sense. Because Shai, I think Shai is a more complete receiver. You know, Shai is a guy that can jump up and catch passes. Uh, you remember the Alabama game. He caught that pass from Helensky in double coverage. He's He's – he was a little bit more, def- a little bit different than than a Demir Bird or Marion Brown. But shoot, man, Demir Bird made his share of plays when he's a South Carolina Long ones too. Uh, and the Gamecocks need to get vertical uh, when teams stack the box, and they need to be they need to show that they're able to do that. Because until they do, you're going to get a stacked box. You're going to get people selling out to stop the run. Because why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? So, agree with you there, man. Agree with you there. All right. The other way to get into the inside or I help consulting mailbag is to email inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Got a couple of those here on the week wrap up episode, second episode that's dropped today. Hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, Eric says, Eric in Denver, Denver, Colorado. Can you talk a little bit more about linebacker play uh, against EIU? I know that this unit has some concerns going into the season. Did you get to see enough Saturday to get a feeling of where they stand? Have they gotten fully healthy? Also, what were your takeaways on Clayton White's scheme as it applies to the linebackers? Watching live on TV, I did a little too much following the ball and missed a lot of their play. Um, I, I it was good to me. Uh, again, yeah, it was uh, it was Eastern Illinois, uh, but I thought Brad. You know, you, you look at they moved Brad Johnson there, and he's a starter, and all of a sudden you're like, well, Brad Johnson. You know, he's been the king of the offseason for a while, and uh, sometimes he doesn't play like it during the season. But, you know, then I remember during recruiting, uh, Clemson and Georgia both evaluated him as a Mike linebacker. Uh, he's playing the will, but it's an inside position. Um, I thought he handled it well. I think he looks leaner and in better shape, and he's moving around better. Uh, I thought Sherrod Green played well. It wasn't a, a – one of those Sherrod Green games where you go, man. <laughs> uh, and, th- and then, you know, Damani Staley is a veteran player who's going to give you some snaps. Uh, and, and I thought he was fine. Yeah, I think Muhammad Kaba stepping in there and flashing like he did. And then Debo Williams uh, blocking two punts. He was credited with blocking two punts. Jordan Strong got a piece of one of them, I'm convinced. But Debo was named co-SEC freshman of the week. You know, and so, so, you know, those two guys are young, but they have a future there. And, and so, you know, you're kind of like, oh, yeah, and Spencer Easton Riddle's still there and all that. They only play two at a time at linebacker uh, in this scheme most of the time. Uh, but I thought they held up pretty well. You know, this week's going to be a bigger test. And then Georgia is obviously going to be a huge test. So we'll see. As far as how they play within the scheme, you know, there's some blitzes and pressures and things like that. They're very active. I thought overall in general the the defensive scheme, uh, and this is my big takeaway, I think it's creative. Uh, I think it, it is a gambling defense at times. Uh, but I also think the guys, you know, the players look like they're doing a lot less thinking out there. 
Uh, they're coming up. They're just playing football. They're tackling. Are they tackled much better against EIU than sometimes in the past? So, you know, I, 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 I thought there were some good signs. But this is a better offense, better quarterback, better skill, faster team, because uh, EIU was not fast at all. Um, this is a faster team they're playing, so, you know, you got to go up a level on Saturday. Eric continues, and if you haven't covered this already, any updates on last Saturday's suspensions? Is it typical for coaches in the college game not to state reasons behind internal suspensions? Uh, yes, uh, and it's uh, typical for them not to even say a guy suspended. Todd Ellis said five players were suspended. So everybody that missed the game, people are trying to kind of piece it together. But, uh, you know, we found out Amos had a hamstring injury. So that wasn't a suspended guy. Uh, I think R.J. Roderick is probably safe uh, to say that's what happened with him, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Although he did get banged up at the end of uh, practice. I don't know, you know. Uh, but yeah, I, and I, I don't care too much about it. You know, somebody gets kicked off the team, you know, that's a big deal. You know, suspension, I don't know. Uh, it was probably something disciplinary wise. And, you know, Shane Beamer's job is to love his players and all that. He talks about that all the time. That doesn't mean there's no discipline within the program. And, and that doesn't mean people aren't accountable. In fact, you know, a lot of times love is about teaching that accountability. Uh, so I applaud him for doing that. Could have been anything, missed class, late to a meeting, consistently, that type of deal. Uh, and Eric says, thanks for the excellent podcast. Thank you, Eric, out there in Denver. I appreciate you uh, tuning in, obviously. It's uh, always good to have people from across the country tune in to this Inside the Game Guys podcast. Again, I help consulting mailbag rolls on. Uh, so I'm going to put this out there. I don't know how many responses we will get, but if you live outside of South Carolina, uh, tell me where, what city, what state uh, are you representing the Gamecock Nation? Assuming you're a Gamecock fan. <laughs> uh, I, I am assuming that. Uh, and just tell us, you know, where exactly uh, you are uh, coming from. The analytics for this show through an uh, app called Megaphone is um, – is, uh, you know, it, it tracks countries. So 99% of our audience is from the United States, <laughs> but uh, it doesn't really track cities and states. So I'm curious to see. So shoot a, shoot a tweet or an email to us. Let us know where you're listening from. All right. So here we go. James, JR, famous character from Dallas, JR. He says, I'll be the first to admit Shane Beamer wasn't my top choice. I've been on the Will Healy bandwagon since he took the 49ers job in my backyard. I also preferred Napier to Beamer. That being said, I do look like what Beamer is trying to do as far as changing the program's culture. My primary concern is that someone like Beamer has to hit grand slams on his coordinator hires. He has never called plays and never will do so. I'm mostly concerned about Satterfield at this point. The wide receiver room is weak. I think the offensive uh, quarterback room is suspect at best. We need a disruptor at OC. We don't have the offensive horses to line up and out-talent any of the SEC teams, save Vandy, of course. I don't think ECU is a great team by any means, but I think we will learn a lot about our offensive limitations this week. What is the minimum this offense needs to do to win? 
I'd say control the line of scrimmage, but that looks unlikely after the performance against that juggernaut last week. Like I said before, I, you know, teams change from week to week. Uh, what you need to know about the offensive line is they're capable. You know, uh, I don't think that last week's performance by them was an embarrassment. I think that the blocking in general uh, was suspect at times by certain individual players. Uh, I don't think they played with a lot of, uh, I guess, uh, maybe a sense of urgency, like maybe they should have. Uh, overall, though, I mean, you know, I didn't – I've seen worse. I've seen worse during the Spurrier era, man, against Wofford. <laughs> uh, and a 225-pound nose guard back in the 2000s. Um, so, I, I, I'm not going to – you know, I wouldn't sit there and call it unlikely – uh, I think they have to not repeat their performance from last week. Um, and, I, I, you know, minimum, you know, run the ball, uh, you know, I, and I think they can do that. But uh, I don't know that you can do the minimum and win this game, uh, depending on how good or not good the defense can be against East Carolina. Uh, as far as your point goes, uh, Will Healy, I don't know that there's a big difference between Will Healy and Shane Beamer other than – you know, Will Be- Will Healy took two took a bad job, and then you know took a what's called an emerging job with Charlotte. Uh, I looked at his offensive coordinator. There's no difference really between that guy and Marcus Satterfield. You know, other than that guy's been around a little longer. Uh, and if you look at Billy Napier's offense at Louisiana, I, I you know I that was my concern. I liked Billy Napier too. I got a lot of respect for him, but. You know, that offense is is not, you know, anything dynamic at all. Um, so, you know, I don't know. You know, like I said uh, about the unknown, I get the unknown. I definitely get the unknown. But when you bring up Will Healy, you know, and I'm a big Will, Will Healy guy. I think the guy's got a, a lot of ability and, and charisma, but so does Shane Beamer. So, I, I, I you know, uh, I don't know about that. Uh, quarterback room being suspect at best. Uh, you know, it's probably just going to depend on Zeb Nolan and, and Luke Doty uh, and how they play here in the coming weeks. Uh, I think it's fundamentally ridiculous and unfair, some of the hot takes on Luke Doty's play. Uh, you had a true freshman quarterback uh, in a system and on a team that was designed for a drop-back play-action passer. Uh, with one receiver, Shy Smith, and none because Shy Smith missed one of the games that uh, Doty started in. You really have only Kevin Harris on offense on a team that had quit for the season, uh, that had a 52 man roster. I mean, I, you know, Luke didn't play well against Kentucky. And, you know, I thought he played pretty decent against Georgia and Missouri. Uh, so I, I think that this notion that, Luke's got all these issues and, and whatever, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. I, I don't, you know, I mean, this kid was a top 100 prospect. If he had never played last year, everybody would be like nuts about it because he was a top 100 prospect. Uh, so I, I think in general, there's a toxicity with this fan base at the quarterback position. I think a lot of folks out there play favorites. I think too many people put too much emphasis on the wrong things when it comes to the position. 
Uh, and I think a lot of that comes from watching Clemson with Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson. Uh, that, I, and I don't even know that that's an opinion. I, I think it's probably fact. You know, everybody always looks at the other team or whatever. Um, but uh, that's the deal there. You need a disruptor on OC. I agree. I agree, but I don't. I don't think what Marcus Satterfield was doing last week was lining up and out talenting uh, people in the traditional sense. I do think that started happening as the game went on. But why would you put things on tape? Uh, and we'll see. Like like I said, I think in the in the preview uh, prediction episode, you know, it's it's one of two things. It's either that they are sandbagging like crazy, which if you kind of notice some of the gamesmanship this week, that wouldn't surprise me, uh, or they just can't do it. Um, and I think if it was a can't do it, considering the game got out of control uh, the other night, I think they would have worked on it. They'd have worked on it. Uh, receivers have to catch the ball. You know, Jalen Brooks, next time he gets open deep, has to catch the ball, uh, even if it's not perfectly thrown, because you don't get that many perfect throws at any level. Um you know, he's got to catch the ball. You know, we mentioned Amari and Brown getting more snaps. Uh, you know, there's some other guys, you know, I, I think EJ Jenkins and Jaheim Bell uh, are excellent receivers, even though they're tight ends. So um, you got to get the ball to him. And I, I don't have any real concerns about Zeb Nolan having the arm strength to get it down the field or, you know, accuracy for the most part. I, I, I think – Sometimes in in the game Saturday, two of his four touchdowns could have been picked. Uh, I don't think that's a reason to say, oh, God, you know, because he did fire it in there and get to in the first one to Muse, first touchdown of the season. Uh, and then the other one, you know, Jaheim Bell leaped up and got it. It was intended for somebody else. But, you know, if Zeb Nolan has gotten in trouble at, during his career as a quarterback at Iowa State, North Dakota State, so he tries to, tries to do too much. Um, in terms of trusting that arm, and you saw some of it early the other day. But, uh, you know, like I said, it's one of two things. Either they're able to do it or they're not. Uh, People beat up the play call in last week, called it vanilla. I I thought they did exactly what they were supposed to do, and 11 different receivers caught passes, and they, you know, you had double-digit carries from your top three running backs that played. Uh, you got Joyner in there in the Wildcat. You handed it off to Jaheen Bell some, had a 60-something yard touchdown call back. You know, I, I didn't necessarily think that was some sort of vanilla. I think it was basic within the scheme of this offense, but the formations were creative and all that. You know, it's unlike the Kurt Roper situation where how many times can you line up and run inside zone over and over and over again, even in games you're down. You remember the – Nobody really wants to remember this game, but the, you know, the 2017 Clemson game at home, you know, it got to be 20 to nothing. And he's still running inside zone to Tyson Williams. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, to me, that's very vanilla. You know, the fact that, you know, the Gamecocks didn't necessarily chuck it down the field vertically uh, more than a couple of times to take their shot. Um, to me, that's probably more of a setup situation where they're setting some things up for down the road. Cause you didn't need it. You didn't need it. Uh, and I think too, and this is just my opinion, you know, I may be wrong that, uh, 
if if it were a situation where they can't do it uh, in a game situation like that, where the game's out of hand, I think I think they would have tried a lot more because you're you're working on it, hoping for some confidence, people to connect. You know, just kind of shutting it down like that means you know. And, and I've heard from people in practice too. It's it, 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 the receivers are in general something that you know needs work. They need more guys, but you know, they also don't think that they're dead in the water at that position. Josh Van, for example, is like a different guy. Uh, so, you know, hey, good for him. You know, we'll see, you know, see who else gets out there and catches passes. Uh, I think it will be important for Van to play well on Saturday and all the receivers. So you bring up some good points. I, You know, I, I think we're beyond the whole – didn't want Beamer or whatever. I mean, he's the coach. They made a good hire. I think, you know, you got to judge him on what he does here. Now, you got to judge Marcus Satterfield on how he does calling the plays from here on out, um, you know, and and I get it. But I, I've said with Marcus Satterfield specifically, we're not going to know. You're not going to know this weekend, you know. Um, it's easy to sit there and blame the quarterback and play calling for every single thing that happens negative on offense. And that's just not reality in football. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it isn't. So, you know, we'll just have to see. I, I think you got a good, bad, or ugly, you know, with Marcus Satterfield. You got to kind of wait till after the Kentucky game to really get a feel. Um, but I know there's some of you out there that are just waiting to pounce on it. Um, and as far as, Beamer hitting grand slams on his coordinator hires. Will Healy was a had a title of passing game coordinator. I don't know if he's ever called plays or does he call plays. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but there was no great experience uh, with him as an OC. I mean, passing game coordinator a lot of times is very similar to assistant head coach, which Beamer did, uh, special teams coordinator, all that. And I do think – you know, you know, and we'll we'll find out about Clayton White too. I mean, just because Clayton White had this track record at Western Kentucky, you know, doesn't mean the defense is going to be. And the defense did look fast and good Saturday night, but that doesn't mean that's going to keep up. That's not going to change. Uh, I think Pete Limbo. It's pretty safe to say, a special teams coordinator is one of the better ones in college football. So, so we'll see what happens. I would just. Uh, Continue to be patient. Uh, you know, and, and when I say patient, I'm not talking about, you know, some people today said, oh, God, you know, South Carolina, you know, they're, they're worried about beating East Carolina. Is this what we've become? Beamer's got a mess and he's got a straight. Now, I'm going to tell you this right now. Beamer doesn't consider this a mess. I mean, there's some recruiting that has to be done around here. You know, there are some spots that need a talent upgrade or they could use a talent upgrade. There are some question marks about this football team. But, you know, the 2-8 and eight record last year was a bit misleading because of the all-SEC schedule and the challenges of it. Um, you know, I, I, there are a lot of really good young players uh, on this roster. Uh, and I, you know, I, I don't think that the truth of the matter is that, you know, this is a situation like they have at Vandy or, you know, any other place where a first year head coach took over. I think it's uh I think it's a, it's a pretty good situation. And as far as the roster goes, uh, it's a better situation, I think, than some of the other coaches that have taken over here 
have had. Uh, and I think it's going to play out that way. Um, so I'm not, I'm not on the, Oh, he's got a mess bandwagon and I'm not on a, all right. If they lose to East Carolina, he's, he's not going to work out. And he needs to fire Marcus Satterfield bandwagon either. Uh, I think those are two extremes. I think the truth is going to be somewhere in between and, you know, you're not going to know till the season, you know, gets a little bit older. Thanks, James. Don't be a stranger. Continue to put that in. The iHelp Consulting mailbag rolls on with the final question of the week. Jeff says, ECU game expectations. I really want us to play mistake-free or close to that if possible. We came out in the third and got sloppy. Give Beamer credit. He got that corrected. Let's see how we respond to a bad play, a bad call, or a pick six. That will tell us more about this team's mental space than beating the brains out of an inferior squad. Because why I feel we are better than the talking heads claim, we still face much stiffer competition this weekend, certainly the weekend follows. That Georgia pass rush is for real, yes. Uh, Anyway, love to hear what you think, JC. How many HBC debuts have you seen? Uh, Did not see Morrison's debut, saw Sparky's debut, Brad's debut, Lou's debut, Spurrier's debut, Holtz's debut, and did I skip Holtz? Yeah, I skipped over Holtz. Not skip Holtz. Saw Muschamp's debut and then Beavers. So, however many that is, since Morrison, every one of them. So, Woods, Scott. Are we including interims here? Woods, Scott, Holtz, Spurrier. Yeah, we'll include Elliott. Did not see Elliott's. I was somewhere else that day. Uh, Muschamp, Bobo, saw that one. Tough loss. And Beamer. So, including interims, eight. Not including interims, six. So, that's the deal there. Uh, I I agree with you, Jeff. Uh, The headspace. You know, it's almost positive. Uh, that they didn't play a perfect game against Eastern Illinois, but won comfortably. There's stuff to coach on. I said that earlier this week. But I think there's a different story. And like my contact told me earlier today, they're prepared to weather the storm uh, when they get East Carolina's best shot uh, early in the game. Uh, And that's what you got to do. You know, if something doesn't go your way, you got to get up and continue to play for 60 minutes. And, And that's the deal there. Uh, and that's going to be the deal all year. I mean, it's unrealistic to think, even if the Gamecocks roll to a victory this season, and or, I'm sorry, this year, or this this year, this season, blah, blah, this game against ECU, which is possible. I mean, the Gamecocks have a talent advantage, definitely. Um, Georgia is going to present adversity. I mean, Gamecocks won down there last time they played in double overtime. A lot of adversity. Parker White misses that kick, and, and that's that's adversity, man. <laughs> that's adversity. So, uh, you know, and then they came back and Georgia missed the kick or, or whatever. I mean, but, you know, second half, Holinsky, uh, who was off to a, a really good start, probably his best half of football, uh, was at Georgia. And um, so he's out. DeCarian Joyner has to play. You know, your offense is very limited in that situation. Uh, Joyner still completes some passes, makes some runs, some things like that to take time off, valuable time off the clock because George was sitting there knocking on the door. And McQuamu had a big game. A lot of guys that didn't necessarily play that well 
in other games played really well for South Carolina uh, in that Georgia game. But even in that game, they won. There's going to be adversity. I mean, you know, you think about the other times they've won in Athens, uh, 2011. Boy, that game had a lot of adversity. <laughs> you know, Melvin Ingram right before the the fake punt. I mean, Georgia had s- somewhat dominated that ball game. Melvin Ingram takes it in. Gamecocks have the lead. Antonio Allen had a big play later. Uh, Ingram and Clowney again. I mean, that game. You know, it's a case study and keep playing. Adversity is going to hit. There are a lot of games like that during Spurrier era too. 06 Clemson comes to mind. You know, just keep playing. Good things will happen. Uh, Missouri in 2013. uh, How could I forget that one? You know, you're down 17 nothing against the top five, a then top five team on the road. Come back and win it. Um, and, And that's what teams that strive to be good do. They don't wilt under pressure. They don't sit there and go, yeah. But I'll, I'll say this, though. Adversity's coming. It's probably coming this weekend at some point in the game. You're not going to sit there and win every game 46 nothing. not even close. There is a range of potential outcomes this weekend, uh, a range of things that are going to happen within the game. Uh, some are probably going to make you want to throw your remote through the TV. Or if you're there, toss your beer onto the field. That's football. You know, nothing's perfect. <laughs> uh, you know, whether that's drop passes, penalties, them East Carolina making a big play, it's going to happen. Uh, and the key to being good or not good is how you respond. You know, you have to respond. Uh, and we'll see sort of what happens Saturday. Thanks for your email, Jeff. Always appreciate it. Really good stuff. Really good stuff from all of you. Inboxers uh, here on the Inside the Game Guys podcast and the IELTS Consulting Mailbag. Thanks to Heritage Digital uh, for their sponsorship of this show. Uh, thanks to IELTS Consulting. Please patronize those businesses. Also, Cindy Searfoss of Caldwell, Caldwell Banker Kane, uh, Upstate Real Estate Person. She uh, sponsors our predictions show. Uh, 864-414-5271 for all your upstate real estate needs. Spartanburg base, so the hometown. Those of you up there in my hometown, uh, please take advantage of her services if you are in need of a realtor. And that's all the time we have for today. Hope you guys uh, that listened to the Big Gamecock Preview Show enjoyed it with JB and Goldwater. And hope you guys enjoy some Carolina football tomorrow. Uh, There's only 11 more including tomorrow. Then there'll be 10 more. This thing goes really fast. Once the We wait all, all summer for the season to get here. That last week before the opener is long, 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 long. Uh, and then it just goes by quick. We're going to be sitting here in October going, where is the time gone? Where is the time gone? And I hope it's not – I hope we're not in the fellowship of the miserable by that point. Um, just because, hey, you know, it's always more fun to talk about a win and – all that to talk about what went wrong uh, against the various opponents on the Gamecocks schedule here in 2021. I'm J.C. Sherbert. This has been the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. We'll holler at you next week. By the time you hear from me again, game two will be in the books. Hope you all have a wonderful time and holler at you soon.